Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome into another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's Friday morning. It's another episode of Corner 3 presented by Mechdyne here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Jared Stansbury and Scott Christofferson. I want to thank our friends at Mechdyne. You can find out more about them uh, at mechdyne.com, M-E-C-H-D-Y-N-E.com. Uh, Scott, what's up today? How's your week been going, man? Week's going well, other than it's uh, really cold. Hate uh, the weather this time of year, like I'm sure many Midwesterners do, but uh, great to see the Iowa State Cyclones get back in the winning column on Wednesday and kind of excited about the next week here for them. Uh, it's it's funny how much Midwesterners, like we always complain about how cold it is, you know, but so few of us would ever consider actually leaving the Midwest to get away from the cold. And even if we do get away, we immediately want to go back. Like I went to Florida and it was nice and hot for five days in Florida. And by the fourth day, I was like, man, I kind of missed the cold. I'm ready to go back to the Midwest. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it would, you'd have to have the right type of job to be able to move. You know, if you had our job where you could work remotely, I, I think I could pull it off. And I don't, I don't know that I would, I would miss the people who, and you know, I, I mean, obviously right. the Midwest has got great people, but I would not miss the weather in any way. Every year I get a little older. I like my steak raw, my booze stronger, and I get a little bit more complaining. I complain more about the the weather. So that's kind of my, with each passing year, those things all go in the same direction. I think you, like everybody goes through a period. It's like where you hate the weather and then you turn like 50 and you love the weather again. And you, but you were like obsessed over it. You're, you're obsessed over the weather patterns. When, how much rain are we going to get this month? Like that was my grandpa. My grandpa would always be like, I, you know, we're only going to get so-and-so inches of snow this year. And it's snow. it's just, yeah. that's disappointing. And I was like, why do old people care so much about the weather? I think I have a very realistic perspective on my expectations of the weather. I'm all for having some snow up through Christmas, but by December 26, I need it to be 75. That seems yeah. very reasonable. This is the most Midwestern conversation we could have ever had. because it, <laughs> Every interaction I have with a person, it's, I hope, hope it's not too cold out there for you. It's, you know, the wind chill is negative 20. Uh, and then you're walking out the door. I hope you stay warm, you know, stay warm out there. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll I'll make sure to do that. All right. Iowa State with a win the other night over Oklahoma State. Overtime. Gutsy win. Uh, you know, I thought that it was probably one of their best wins of the year to be able to go on the road to Stillwater uh, and win the way that they did. It was a, a different kind of game because it just, you know, obviously both of those both of these teams, like every other in the Big Twelve, is built so much on defense, but you know, it was a shot making game, which it doesn't seem like we've had very many of those so far this season. Yeah, I think this was a game where 
the thing that really stood out to me, you know, we talked about it being kind of a gut check moment for this team. The first one that I think they've really had where they got hit. Um, and then in the second half, I just thought Isaiah and uh, Tyrese really led the charge, uh, just put this team on their back, kind of got them back into it. Uh, just made big shot after big shot to crawl back into this game. And they got great contributions. You know, Caleb Grill had a big night. George had a, a great game. Several other, you know, Trey Jackson steps up and hits a couple of really big free throws. So it was definitely a complete team win. But we had talked about wanting to see Isaiah and Tyrese kind of put this thing on their back offensively. And I thought coming down the stretch, they they both did that. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, you get the contributions from Caleb Grill and George Condit both off the bench. I felt like both those guys played played really well. I think the biggest thing for me was offensively, they played with purpose, you mm -hmm. know, and it even when you knew that a possession was probably going to end with Isaiah having the ball and it just let Isaiah do his thing. I mean, there was a lot of periods where that was kind of just the default offense. They would still swing the ball around. You're still making the defense move. You're getting good ball movement out of your offense. And it's not just five guys standing around firing up a three at the first opportunity. Like I thought that that was a, a significant positive, even if it really more or less ended with Isaiah just having to cook, you know, a lot. Well, quite a few but times. I think that's the way this team is going to need to play moving forward, right? So it's, we're going to be opportunistic and get out in transition when we can, but we're not a running team, right? It's more off of turnovers or when something's obvious. Um, we're going to run our stuff in the half court and they ran it. Not only did they have, they, they played with purpose and there was just a little bit, the cuts were a little bit more aggressive. The passes were more aggressive. You could just tell their, the, the, the level of urgency running their stuff went up a notch and then your stuff isn't always going to lead to you getting a layup or a, you know, easy inside out three in the first 15 seconds of the shot clock. And when they get it down to 10 to 12 on the shot clock, I would either get in a one four low for Isaiah or a you know a high elbow ISO, or I'd get Tyrese in a high pick and roll, and they they just got to go and make plays, and that's that's how this team is going to win. You know, I, I was kind of reminded of remember like the old um, who was the guy at Texas Tech? It was was his last name AC. Uh, are you thinking lefty. about AC Law the Fourth? AC Law the Fourth. That team grinded Texas A and M, yeah, and grinded and grinded. And then it would he would get the ball in like the last ten seconds of the shot clock, coming down the stretch, and just make big shot after big shot. And they were able to grind out a bunch of wins that way. And that's kind of how this team is, in my opinion, gonna have to play offensively. Man, AC Law the Fourth. That's a hell of a pull right there, dude. That's a hell of a pull. That's an old school Big Twelve pull right there. I mean, I, I almost said Quincy AC, but he was the 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 dunk everything guy from Baylor. Yeah, I yeah. No, AC Law, dude. He, I remember him. They went on the road to uh, Kansas, and it was college game day. Was there? It was a huge game. Texas A&M was ranked like you know, Kansas obviously ranked as a monster game. This might have been like when Mario Chalmers was there. And uh, he hit a shot in overtime to beat him in, in the fog. And it was like, holy cow, AC Law is the, is the next big thing. You know, yep. I mean, the dude was like 5'10 or something like that. Yeah. I think he got drafted by the Warriors. And I want to say he was the original Splash Brother alongside Steph Curry with Monte Ellis. It was AC Law, Monte Ellis, and Steph Curry, if I remember right. So that was, okay. yeah. there we go. There's AC Law, AC Law history. This is the stuff that I go into deep dives of sometimes. But, uh, <laughs> No, I mean, I, you know, I just thought that it was encouraging because we'd seen this team play well on the defensive end, but it just, it, and offensively, we'd seen them played, you know, solid at times, but it just, 
it felt like they'd gotten you know lazy with some of the things they would do offensively with their shot selection and then the passing and things like that that would lead to the turnovers and I was really concerned early in the game because they had the five turnovers before the first media timeout and I think three of them led to run out dunks or layups and you're sitting there like shit like I don't know how you're gonna like if this is how this is gonna go this is gonna be a long night you know and they were able to get some of those things cleaned up and you know you were able to get them out of transition but uh at the end of the day like you have to be able to maintain that you know that's the big key now is can you carry that forward or is it just going to be a one-time blip where you'd played terribly offensively a couple nights before you really focused on it for the the days following and then you came out and played well in the next game you know like can you carry that momentum now yeah, I think if you're TJ, this is a perfect like win-win scenario. You won the game, you know, you 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 saw the the things some, you saw some things offensively that you wanted to see, especially coming down the stretch. But this wasn't Iowa State's best game. Mm-hmm. You know, defensively, there were some some breakdowns in transition defense, rebounding. There still were some things offensively that they could clean up. So you get a huge gutsy road win, a ton to be positive about, get your confidence back going in the right direction. But as a coach, you've still got a bunch of film that you can say, hey, guys, you know, if we're going to beat Missouri on Saturday and we're going to beat KU next Tuesday in Hilton, we've got to clean up our transition defense. We've got, we can't be having, you know, six or seven dunks that uh, uncontested dunks that we give up in a game. So there's, there's plenty to kind of keep the fire burning hot for your team in the film room. I think he's, this was a game where you really did see the value that George Condit brings because, you know, George is not a prolific shot blocker. Like I know, I think he's fifth in all time and shot in block shots at Iowa state now with like 120 or something like that. But still it's just, you know, he does a good job of altering shots at the rim and he's someone that makes it harder for guys to just run in and dunk it on him. And you saw when he's not in immediately in foul trouble, like he has been a lot of times this year, you know, he can clean up some of those things when he's able to stay on the floor. But, it, you know, when you when you he comes off, you know, Rob Jones just is not the same level of rim protector. Jazz obviously is not the same level of rim protector that you're going to get down there. And like, I thought this was a good game for him to be able to mix it up and like give them some level of presence down there because he was able to stay out of foul trouble. Yeah. And, and, and maybe it works a little bit better for, for Rob to start because mm-hmm. he has been playing better of late, you know, and if they can have him and George are two different players, but if they can get that sort of production out of the five position that they, you know, and get both of those guys in comfortable in their role, the minutes they're getting, et cetera, et cetera. And it makes sense to, to start Rob and, and keep George out of foul trouble early. So he can kind of acclimate himself to the game flow and you start getting better and more consistent performances out of him. You know, this team's its best when George Condit's playing well on the floor for them and yeah. not in foul trouble. And so if that if that helps that happen more often, then I, I would say that's a, a big breakthrough for them. Yeah, for sure. And the one thing that co- I come out of this game with that I am a little bit concerned about still, I mean, there are things that's like I'm, I have concern, but, you know, they were a little bit improved. It's just can you carry him forward like we talked about with the offense? The fouling has to slow down. I mean, it is – I'm cool with, you know, effort fouls or, you know, if you're trying to keep someone from getting an and one at the bucket or something like that. But, man, the number of stupid fouls that they have is unbelievably frustrating. And it makes it really hard, especially on the road, to be able to maintain the level of momentum and the length and to maintain the flow that you need, especially 
offensively when you're putting a team at a free uh, putting a team at the free throw line every other possession like they were doing for Oklahoma State late in the game and nearly all of those fouls were far away from the basket like it's not like they're fouling them under the rim it's always out on the perimeter you can't well, like that, that's the kind of stuff you can't have and and I want to be positive because we we're I was pretty you know critical about certain pieces of their performance after TCU but when you talk about things to improve upon, it's not good defense when you're playing really hard and you go and just body check a guy that's going to be a foul 50 times out of 50 times. Mm-hmm. That's the same as giving up a layup when they're in the bonus. And so, you know, that's something like you want to pull out a, you know, a, a close win against KU at home, which would be again, a, just another monumental win for this team next Tuesday. You can't, you can't just put, KU at the free throw line 10 times in the final four minutes of the game because we're playing hard, but we can't be under control and we're just going to make obvious foul calls available for the refs. It's just, you, you, you can't beat good teams playing that way. So, you know, that, that's something again, you know, when I talk about the things that TJ's got at his disposal to kind of go back and break down the film and say, Hey, we got our mojo back, big road win. Great job guys. But there's three or four things that I think we can clean up and, and, and really help ourselves out moving forward. I think that's probably at the top of that list. How much of it is needing to change your approach overall versus needing to be able to change your approach in a game, you know, and like understand the flow of the game and know when can I do certain things and when can I not do them? It's it's game by it's game specific for them. They're, they're an attack style defense. And if they stop attacking on defense as a whole, that's, that'll be a step back for this team. But within the game, when the other team gets in the bonus and the refs have established how they're going to call the game to just continue to play the same way over and over and over and make, I mean, I can, there's three or four call fouls that they committed the other night that are just obvious foul calls. These aren't 50, 50 calls that the refs just gave them because they were on the road. Those are fouls 100 times out of hundred times in any gym in America. And again, that's the equivalent of giving up a a transition dunk it's two free points for good shooters so Mm -hmm. those are things that they got to clean up um you know the other night it wasn't a terrible defensive performance but it wasn't their best they're capable of better and and i think that if they compare the improvements that they made offensively with their best better defensive efforts against you know, so, you know, the Kansas on the road comes to mind, um, Drake, uh, not Drake, um, Creighton on the road comes to mind. If they can start to pair now this offense and, and get a little bit more consistent with that and then revert back to what they've done 90% of the time on the defensive end, again, that's, that's the next step for this team, for this program, which we've talked a lot about here in the last week. I think too, it's probably unrealistic for people all of a sudden to think that they're going to go and average 80 points a game. Like, I, I, you know, I don't think we expect that. I think at the end of the day, if they can score 70 consistently, they're probably going to be okay. You know, more often than not. 65 is a winning six, number. Yeah, 65 to 70. But, yep. you know, then you got to be able to defend at that level on the other end. And it just, and you just got to hope that someone doesn't get unbelievably hot like what Avery Anderson did, you know, and score 36 points or whatever it was, 34 points. And, and this is, this is very common for teams, but, what this team has in front of it now is the challenge of just being a little bit more locked in to what your job is each and every possession for a full 40 minutes. Cause as we've seen already, the margin for error in this league is razor thin. So it's as simple as 
three or four possessions breaking down in our focus and our attention to detail can decide a game. And so the attention and focus offensively in Oklahoma State went in a very positive direction. We need to be able to bring that without losing attention and focus to detail in our transition defense and not giving up straight line drives into the paint. The obvious foul calls when the other team's in the bonus. Now, that's, that is the next, like, that's what's going to determine right now between now and the end of the season, which teams ascend up in this league and which teams take a step back. It's, it's, it's really that, that, that razor thin of a margin for error. And I think at the end of the day, it comes down to execution on both ends of the floor. You know, everybody plays hard in this league. There's nobody who's quit, you know, like no one has just given up on what their, their chances are. So you have to show up and play hard and then you have to be able to execute. And the team that executes better is the one that's going to win, you know, and like, that's what obviously was able to execute well enough in that game to be able to win. And you're able to get, you know, some timely stops and things like that to get yourself some cushion to where you can escape. But we've seen it when they don't execute in those late game situations and it becomes the, it becomes the, you know, the, the margin at the end of the day, it's, it's we didn't old, execute long, for long enough and they executed better than we did. And it's the old Bill Belichick saying, right? Like just do your job, right? Like one through five on the court, this possession, what's your job, do it. And then right on to the next play. All right, we're on offense. What's my job? Go and execute it. Now we're, you know, and, and it's just doing that over and over and over again. And in a, in a league like the big 12 in a year, like we're in where you've got, I mean, I, I'm not saying all 10 teams are getting in the tournament, obviously Oklahoma state can't, but you could make a very good case for 10 teams to be in the top 75 or 80 teams in college basketball. I think all 10 teams in the league are good enough to be in the tournament, but not all 10 will have records. And obviously Oklahoma state couldn't go anyway, but yeah, that's a better way of saying it. Correct. Yeah. So, you know, again, we're just talking about these finite details that are going to be the difference between the teams that win enough games to get in and the teams that are probably good enough to get in, but just don't because you're going to have to win eight games in this league or at least seven to get in. And not all, not, not, not everybody can do that. Right. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold, the rage of the earth. We made this curse, carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see, we could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one, with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. All right, let's shift our attention now a little bit towards uh, tomorrow afternoon at Hilton Coliseum. I was taking a take on Missouri in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. Uh... I know that the Big 12 SEC Challenge is a in a, a newer edition since you played at Iowa State. What, but what are your general thoughts on this entire thing? I, I'm interested to know from a player's perspective what you think of of the Big 12 SEC Challenge. I love the Big 12 SEC Challenge. I wish it was maybe played in November or December. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I, I think, you know, you could make an argument. These are the two best leagues in the country this year. And so to get a chance to kind of see, you know, f- you know, all of the different games and, and watch it play out, I think will be fun. Um, I know we had talked about before, you know, maybe it'd be nice if they would wait to choose your opponent until a couple of weeks before it, that way you could get best on best, but all in all, I mean, I think it's a, I think, you know, like the big 10 ACC challenge is always cool. And you kind of have like a bragging rights camaraderie day, you know, I just in the middle of league play is a little bit different, but on a positive side, it'll give Iowa state a chance to play a non big 12 opponent Mm -hmm. in the middle of their conference season. And maybe they get a chance to, I, I mean, again, you're, you you want to win every game. I'm not in trying to insinuate that uh, they are not, they don't take this game seriously, but like, it's just different playing teams in your league against right. the, than playing a non-common opponent. So you can maybe try some different things against Missouri that you're not going to try against Kansas at home on Tuesday. And so maybe they discover some different rotations or a couple of offensive sets or whatever, give them a chance to try something different against a, you know, a, a new opponent that doesn't know them and see how, how it works out. I think that the concept of, of, you know, basically you flex these games where you're going to decide, you know, a team knows if they're going on the road or if they're going to play at home, but you wait until early January decide to decide because the entire point of playing it in January is to give teams another quality win on their resume. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Iowa State, Missouri is probably a little bit different. I understand why they would have wanted to schedule this game with the big eight connections and all that kind of stuff. Like there's other reasons for wanting to play this game, even though Iowa State, Missouri played a couple years ago. Uh, you know, but like Alabama Baylor in September sounded like an awesome game. It doesn't sound as awesome now, you know, Auburn going on the road or or Auburn playing Oklahoma, like that probably wouldn't have sounded like that good of a game in September, but man, now Auburn's number one team in the country. And you're sitting there thinking, dang, this could have been a way bigger deal if they're playing Baylor, you know, and nothing against Oklahoma, but it's just it, in my mind, it should be a thing of getting your best against your best, you know, and not being like, okay, we just need to throw these matchups together and then we'll see what happens later. Right. Yeah. If you're going to wait till this long in the year to do it, I would be more of a fan of choosing the making the matchups a couple of weeks before, obviously, if you're going to play it in November, you just go off the preseason um, projections and, and, and base it off of that. So yeah, I'm with you there. All right. The, this Missouri team, I mean, I, you know, admittedly, I don't know a ton about Missouri. Uh, I know they played tough with Auburn when they played earlier this week. I would imagine that that was a bit of a hangover game for the Tigers, considering they had just come off their thrilling win over Kentucky and then had just been ranked number one in the country the day before. Uh, Probably a little bit tough to get up for the 8-11 and Tigers at that point, uh, or 8-10. and But, uh, you know, not a team that really jumps out at you on the stat sheet. Uh, they're a really poor shooting team uh, on, you know, they turn the ball over a lot offensively and then they're not really anything special defensively. They don't foul people. It's about the only thing that, uh, that really jumps out at you as being a major positive for them. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think if Iowa State can come out and play their game and, you know, not shoot themselves in the foot, they should probably be okay in this one. Yeah. And I, I think that, Again, you never convey this to players as a coach, right? Every game is we're here to win it. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And that they will put together a, you know, a game plan that they think they can go win with. But I think if I'm coaching this team, I'm saying, all right, this is an opportunity for us to go out there and kind of get ourselves tuned up for KU on Tuesday. And 
really pair what we saw offensively against Oklahoma State and the, the execution and the consistency that we brought on that end of the floor and get back to what we've been doing defensively all year so that we go into that KU game on Tuesday night confident, feeling good about ourselves, having a good performance under our belt on both ends of the floor, feeling like we can get a marquee win in the Big 12 at home next Tuesday. I, I mean, again, I, you never would convey that to your players, but I, I would probably be thinking a little bit about that if I were in TJ's shoes. Yeah, it kind of, this is where, again, I get, you know, the timing of this. I just, it sucks. I would rather see Big 12 teams probably get a, where maybe you don't play a weekday game. Like every team gets one week where it's like, you're not going to play a weekday game. You're not going to play on a Saturday or something like that. And you get a little bit more rest. This league is just such a grind, man, to throw that, to drop this game right in the middle. Like it, and you know you got to play Kansas three days later. I don't know. It's just dumb. Like I, I, I get why they do it, and it makes sense. But if you're not going to play a team that's, you know, highly ranked, that's going to give you an opportunity to get a marquee win, then I just I don't see a point. Like it just is stupid. That's my general opinion, though. Yeah, I think you got to. I mean, I'm I don't disagree with you, but you probably try to phrase it as it's a, an opportunity to get yourselves tuned up and. You know, well, yeah, I'm not a player, Scott, so I can come in here and tell you how much it sucks. I, yeah, I no, I, I, I and I, uh, I, I'm with you. Cliches. I don't have to give you the cliches. If this was, if this was uh, LSU or Tennessee, you yeah. know, it would probably be a game, game where you're, as a Gosh. fan, you're a, or an analyst, you're a little bit more juiced up for it, just because, yeah, I mean, that'd be another, you know, big win on your resume. But you got to go play it, and you got to try to find a way to get something out of it. Frankly, outside of just a win. Frankly, I don't know how excited I'd be if they had to play Tennessee. I played them a couple of years ago in the Big Twelve SEC Challenge, and that went. To, I think to say poorly would probably be an understatement. Uh, to be completely <laughs> honest, they they brought their striped orange and white pants and kicked our asses. That's what they did. The you know well, we last, owe them one then. Well, yeah, yeah. Last week was the lowest scoring game in Hilton Coliseum history. The one that was previously the lowest scoring game in Hilton Coliseum history was that game against Tennessee. And I think Tennessee went on like a 20 to nothing run at one point in the game. It was not very, it was not good. It was a not good stretch, but all right, man, we'll talk to you on Monday after this game tomorrow. And then uh, we'll look at the Jayhawks. Sound good. That sounds great. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. Have a great week weekend. We'll talk to you guys again soon. Peace.